How many of you all were here this morning? Can I ask that? A good portion of you. This morning we began by looking at 1 Kings chapter 19 and the idea that God often when he speaks, speaks in repetitive nature. There, is, there are the whispers of God, but there are also these echoes that we have, these experiences where God keeps saying the same thing over and over again in different formats. And I shared a story from my own life about how God had used the words, you follow me, out of John 21 over and over to kind of remind me of the message that despite whatever is going on, that the most important things is to press my nose into Jesus' shoulder blades and to follow him. And tonight, what I wanted to do was share another echo that God has spoken to me time and time again. And I believe this is one of the most foundational. This is one that I would argue that there probably is not a person in this room who has not heard God speak to them at one time or another. And it is simply three words. I love you. And to what incredible depths and lengths our God will go to communicate his love to us. And yet despite the tenacity of our God to express his love, all too often I find that when somebody stands up to start talking about the love of God, it's like the words bounce off of my heart. I mean, I grew up in the church. I was a religion major. I focused on New Testament studies. I have been around this Christian culture my entire life. When it comes to the love of God, I have heard dozens, if not hundreds, of sermons. It's as if I have gotten the t-shirt, I have read the billboard, I own the bracelet, received the text message, gotten the Twitter, have become a fan on Facebook, and something in my heart cries out, can't we just go on to something else by now. And yet despite the hardness of my heart, God keeps echoing, I love you, I love you, I love you. I think that of all of the followers of Jesus, the one who laid hold of the love of God the most was the follower John. He is the one who in the Gospel of John describes himself as the follower whom Jesus loved. And I think that when he wrote, or rather the scribe who was with him wrote these words, that he didn't write or ever speak them with a British accent. In other words, he was never like, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. I think rather that when he spoke them and and wrote them that they were written in this tone of brokenness, a reality that this man John had spent so much time with the person of Jesus that he had exchanged the lenses with which he saw the world and himself with the lenses with which God saw the world. He began seeing himself and others as Christ saw, and it changed the very core of who his own identity, how he saw himself and other people. Maybe that's one reason why when we read the Gospel of John, as well as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, time and time again, it's like love is the only topic that this guy can talk about. I mean, this is the man who in 1st John chapter 3, verse 1, penned these words, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. 
You see, I have a hunch that John didn't just become like aware of the love of God. He didn't just catch a glimpse of the love of God. It was like he became captivated and utterly saturated by the love of God. The image that I have in my eye is that of when you take a shower, possibly in the morning, and you reach out to grab the towel, and as you do, the water droplets just fly off of your hand. I believe that's the image of just how much God wants to saturate us with his love, that we would be so filled up with it that it would literally just drip out of us, and we didn't even know that it happened. And when somebody stands up and starts to talk about the love of God like that, I want in on the action. Time and time again in my own life, I am amazed at the incredible lengths that God will go to to expose me and bathe me in the reality of his love. I remember a time that I was in college when I came up with a kookamani idea, which is not unusual for college students. And I decided that it would be a great idea to go out and run a marathon. Crazy Americans. And so I got together a group of my friends, and I said, I want to run a marathon. It's one of my goals that I want to do before I die, and I think now is the time. And pretty soon the little kind of energy spread, and other people were like, yeah, I want to do that too. I want to do that too. Before I knew it, we had almost two dozen people all committed to train for this marathon. And so we all go out jogging our one mile or two mile. We've got our plans all ironed out. We are so excited. Six months later, when the actual race day is, there are only two people who are signed up for the marathon, me and one other guy. And so we travel to Ellerbee Springs, North Carolina, to run this marathon. How many people know where Ellerbee Springs, North Carolina is? Exactly. Like, Google Maps can't find it either. So we go to this Nowhereville little town. We sign up for the marathon. We're all excited. We're at the starting line, and I look around, and suddenly I realize that this is not the Boston Marathon. Okay, I am not surrounded by tens of thousands of people. There are a whopping 87 people in this race. And the gun goes off, and I start running. And technically, it's not really running as much as it is something that I like to call woggling. And it is a scientific hybrid between walking and jogging. And technically, in my own mind, as long as both feet don't touch the ground at the same time, then I am running, or at least woggling. And so I am off, and I am going, and, and I'm going, and I look around, and I realize, wait a second, this really isn't the Boston Marathon, because there is not like a little snack or potty break, like every half mile or mile. Like, you have to run four to five miles to get like your next little shot of Gatorade or water, or your little orange slice. And so I am out there running, and I'm going, and I'm getting past left and right, and about mile 10, and I look around and I realize, I am not kidding you, I am dead last in this race. And I am looking around and I am in the back roads of North Carolina in Nowhereville where like the satellites will never find me. And I am thinking, am I even on the right path? 
And as I'm sitting there running and jogging, I hit the wall, which is something you hit when you run a marathon, except it's supposed to happen around mile like 22 and I'm at mile 10. And so I'm like, oh dear God, please help, this hurts. And I'm going at my tiny little slow pace and I just start praying and I say, God, help. Like, first of all, help me figure out where I am and if I'm on the right road. And secondly, help because I am so alone here and I need your strength because I believe that this physical act of running is an act of perseverance. Not something that I want in my own spiritual life. And I need you. And you know, when I finished praying, I looked over and there was a little tiny white butterfly flying beside me. And I thought, oh, God, that's really sweet. Thank you. And so I keep running. Do you know that that butterfly followed me for the next four to five miles until I finally passed the next to last person in the race? and I left grandpa in the dust. (laughs) And you know, I finished that race, and when I look back and I think about it, there is a part of my brain that tells me that the only reason that white butterfly followed me was because I smelled funny. But the other part of me says that in that moment, in that experience, that was one reminder of God's love, his presence, the reality that he had not left me. Even then, he was with me, reminding me, I love you, I love you, I love you. When we think about the lengths and the depths that God will go to reveal his love, we realize that he will invade our lives when we least expect it and sometimes when we're not even looking for him. A while back, I was living in one of those stages which is just total overdrive, burning the candle on both ends and in the middle, all cylinders go. And one of the ways that I know that I'm doing too much is when I come home and I open the kitchen cabinets and like there's like a thing of like top ramen and one can of creamed corn left. And I know, you know what, it's too fast, I gotta slow down, but meanwhile, I gotta get some food. And I remember this day, I hopped in the car and I ran to the grocery store and I grabbed the cart and I'm just throwing stuff in the cart as quickly as I can and I come to the checkout and I have that spiritual gift that no matter what checkout lane that I pick it's always the slowest one and so I kind of get through there and I'm just kind of annoyed and harried and I get my cart and I come out of the store and I go to my car and I open up the back and I'm putting the groceries in and as I do I have this thought that pops into my mind so loud and so clear that I actually looked around the parking lot to see if anybody was there. And it simply said, I miss you. And when I looked around and I realized that nobody was there, I realized that in that moment it was God speaking. With the big, wet, hot tears running down my cheeks, I only had one response. I miss you too. And in the harried busyness of our lives, how amazing it is that God will intercept us. He will intervene. He will do the most surprising things in order to reveal his love and beckon us back into a relationship with himself. Why is God so committed to to bathing us, to saturating us in the reality of his love? I believe that there are a handful of reasons. The first of which is that ultimately, the love of God is a transforming power. 
more and more when I read the, about the love of God in Scripture, I'm starting to see it more as a verb than as a noun. The idea that when the love of God comes inside of our life, it ignites, it transforms. There's an, almost like a nuclear reactor aspect to it, that it comes inside of us and it transforms us from the inside out. I think one of the best examples in scripture of this is found in Mark chapter 12. And for those of you who have your Bibles, you're welcome to go to this very familiar story. You see, this is the story of a woman who was a widow who decided to give her money in a temple offering. This is a story that's often told in the context of churches, often when a sermon or an offering is being taken up. And yet the more and more I'm reading the story in Mark chapter 12, verse 41, I'm discovering that it's not so much a story about giving as much as it is maybe just a good love story, a love story about one woman and her relationship with God. And in Mark 12, verse 41, it describes that Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. You see, back in ancient culture, they didn't have these cool offering plates or baskets or those fabulous like Kentucky Fried Chicken big paper things to pass around to collect the money at church. And in the temple, they had an area where the offering was collected. In the front of this room, there were about a dozen or so of these metal shofar-shaped gathering um, devices toward the front. And people in the room would come forward and they would drop in their money. Well, back in the day, they didn't have like Visa Visa MasterCard. There wasn't e-giving or a quick swipe of the credit card. And if you wanted to give, you had to use the currency of the day, which was metal coins. And so you have these people who are coming up, and they've got a ton of coins that they want to give to the offering, and they're dropping them in as quietly as they can so nobody can hear. And other people are coming in with their ton of coins in their thumping them in as loud as they can so everybody can hear their offering. And in the commotion of this scene, you've got Jesus who is hanging out with his peeps, and he's just watching all that is going on. And in the midst of it, he zeroes in on one older woman, a widow, a woman who is likely looking shabby and disheveled and probably smelled a little bit funny. And she makes her way toward the front, and she drops in the coins that she has, these two thin, wafer-like little coins that if pressed together wouldn't even be as thick as a single Canadian coin, and she drops them in the offering, raising the question of, did they even make a sound at all? And yet here's Jesus watching, and he hears the sound of her heart, and recognizes the incredible love that she has for God. And he points her out. He says, that, that one, that's the one to remember. And in that scene, I have to ask the question of what compelled that woman to go forward. You see, I don't think that she went forward and gave everything that she had out of guilt. I don't think that she felt some dark compulsion. I think that she was motivated by love. 
I think this was a woman who had become so captivated and saturated by the love of God, so transformed that she could not give. And when she dropped it in, it has to raise the question of how many times had she heard God echo to her, I love you, I love you, I love you. Had she heard it a dozen times, a hundred times, a thousand times, or 10,000? I don't know. But what I do know is that the transforming power of God came alive in her so much that she could not go forward and give all that she had. And so God echoes, I love you, because he wants the aliveness of his love alive inside of us. But the second reason that I think God is so committed to bathing us in the reality of his love is that ultimately love does not travel alone. And this is a concept that I first discovered when I was doing my research for the organic God. I began going through the scripture and looking up all these verses that revealed something about God, both in the New Testament and key books of the Old. And throughout the process, I began to see aspects of God that I had never seen before, like his mystery and his beauty and his big-heartedness. One of the facets of God that I dove into was the wisdom of God. And as I began looking up wisdom, I began seeing its constant mention throughout the book of Proverbs. And what I began to notice is that wherever wisdom is mentioned in Scripture, she does not travel alone. Wisdom always travels with her friends. So wherever you find wisdom in the Bible, you'll find prudence hanging out nearby. And wherever you find wisdom, you'll find self-control there as well. And wherever you find wisdom, you'll find discretion as well, because wisdom does not travel alone. She travels with her friends in the same way that love does not travel alone. And when love walks in the room, joy is so going to join in the party. And when love walks in the room, peace wants to be there as well. And when love walks in the room, grace is so going to be there in like three minutes. And so you see that when love walks in the room, that he brings his friends. But it's not just that love brings his friends. It's that things that are already in the room have to go. Because when love walks in the room, fear finds the back door. And when love walks in the room, anger makes a run for it. And when love walks in the room, bitterness disappears. All because love walked in the room. And so when God echoes, I love you, I love you, I love you, he is not just giving us his love. He is giving us so much more. And another reason that I think that God is so committed to to just echoing the reality of his love in our lives is that I believe that ultimately that it is the love of God that helps us erase the lines that we draw in our own relationships with God. And I first learned about this when I was spending time with a wonderful woman in the South who had followed Jesus for many years. I was hanging out in her kitchen, and she was making a whopper of a peanut butter pie. And as we're hanging out and just talking about life and faith, she said something that totally caught my attention. She said, Margaret, well, I just don't pray for things for myself anymore. And I was like, excuse me? And she said, well, I mean, I still pray. I pray for my family. I pray for the government. I pray for my church. You know, I pray for young leaders. I, I just don't ask God for things for myself anymore. And, and I said, where did you come to that conclusion? I mean, obviously, that's not biblical. And she didn't really want to go there. 
And I could tell that she had somewhere been hurt, somewhere faced a disappointment with God. And I didn't know whether it was one big disappointment or a series of small disappointments. But somewhere in her spiritual journey, she had drawn a line with God and said, I will pray for things from God on that side of the line. But when it comes to things that are on this side, it's just a little bit too close. Like, I I don't know that I want to go there. A few months later, I was in my hometown at the time, up in Juneau, Alaska. And for any of you who have ever seen pictures of Juneau, and there's this beautiful blue sky, don't be tripped. That only happens about 12 days a year. It rains over 300 days in Juneau. And on one of the wettest days of the year, one of my dear friends called me. And she said, Margaret, today is the day. And I was like, for what? A cappuccino, an old movie, and a thick blanket? And she's like, no, today is the day that we're going to go pick blueberries. And I was like, really? And sometimes being a friend means doing things that you really don't want to do. And so I was like, OK, if you buy me a cappuccino, I'll go with you. So she picks me up on her truck. We go and we get the coffee, and then we begin driving the back roads of Juneau, Alaska, which doesn't say a whole lot because there's not that much road. And so we're back in Juneau, and we're cruising, and we're talking, and everything is going well, when all of a sudden my friend pulls a U-turn. And I was like, hmm, interesting. A few minutes later, she pulls another U-turn. And I looked at her, and I said, do you know where this patch of blueberries is? And she says, well, Margaret, I've only been there once, but it's amazing. There's blueberry bushes everywhere, and the blueberries are like this big, and it's just awesome. And I was like, okay, because we both know that we have blueberry bushes like in our own backyards. They're everywhere here. And and so we keep driving. 45 minutes later, we are still doing U-turns on the back roads of Juneau. When finally, me, just being Margaret, prayed out loud and said, Dear Jesus, please let us find the blueberry bushes. Amen. And my friend looks at me and she says, Margaret, why are you praying to find blueberry bushes? And I looked and I said, because at this point, God is the only one who knows where they are. And she looks at me and she says, Margaret, God doesn't answer prayers like that. And suddenly I knew that we weren't really talking about blueberries. I said, you want to tell me something about that? She began to describe how a few years earlier, her mom had been living alone. And in the middle of the night, a man had broken in. And he had brutally raped and murdered her. When that man was finally arrested and the case went to the court, the judge who presided over it described it as the most brutal and heinous crime that he had ever seen in more than 20 years on the bench. And she looked at me and she said, Margaret, if God doesn't answer a prayer like that, what makes you think that he's going to answer a prayer for finding some blueberry bushes? And when I think about the pain and the loss of God not saving or stopping that from her mom. I would love to tell you that I had some brilliant theological answer or reply, but I didn't. Because I think sometimes loving people is just aching with them in the moment. And so we continued to drive, and eventually we found that patch of blueberry bushes We got out of the truck, and I remember we each went our separate ways. And I was standing by this bush, and it's soggy, and it's wet. And I'm sitting there, and I've got my little pail, and I'm picking the blueberries, and I'm hearing that thump, thump, thump as each one drops in. And as I am, I am praying for my friend. 
I'm saying, Lord, please heal, please redeem, please restore. Father, she is upset, she is angry, and, and Lord, she has drawn such deep lines in her relationship with you. Father, cross those, heal her, restore her. And as I'm praying for my friend, I sense the Holy Spirit say to me, Margaret, she is not the only one who has drawn lines in her relationship with me. And at that moment, it was like the spiritual spotlight shifted direction. And I began to look at my own life. And I began to recognize those times when I had called out to God. And I had said, God, I need you to come through. I need you here. And I just felt like it fell on deaf ears. And though I wouldn't say it out loud, because I'm a person of faith, I had silently drawn a line in my relationship with God. Times when I had cried out to God and said, God, will you heal this person of the cancer? Will you find the cure for the disease? Will you spare them? Will you heal them? And they died anyway. And I would draw another line. Times when I would sit before God and I would say, God, I feel like I have this dream, this thing that you've given me. And I would just watch it dissolve right before me. And I would step back and again draw another line. And what I discovered on that day in the rain is that after you draw enough lines in your relationship with God, it is like there is nowhere else to go. And that is why the love of God is so important. Because it is the love of God that gives us the courage to begin erasing some of those lines. It is the love of God that gives us the strength to move beyond some of those barriers that we place between ourselves and God. It is the love of God that gives us the grace and the hope that we can move forward and once again walk into all that God has called and created us to do and to be. And so God continues to echo, I love you, I love you, I love you, because of his great depth of his love. But as we take this process of trying to figure out and recognize, God, I understand that you're saying that you love me. And at times that message saturates and fills me up. But there are other times that I come to you in prayer, and it's a little bit more specific than that. It's not just that I need to be reminded of your love, but I need direction, I need wisdom, I need to know which way to go. And in those types of moments, we have to ask the question of whether or not something is from God or not. And how do we sort through those questions, particularly when it's something more specific? Lord, should I live on Elm Street or Oak Street? Should I marry this person or that person, assuming they're both Christians? Should I major in this or in that? Which should I do? And how do we discern God's voice in our own lives? I remember a while back, I had the opportunity to meet an editor of a large website by the name of BeliefNet. And BeliefNet reaches people of all different faiths. And the editor wanted to invite me to help contribute to be one of the Christian voices on the site. And for me, that was a really big meeting. And I remember we were at a large convention in Denver. And so we were staying in a hotel and we met in the lobby and we were sitting there having this meeting. And I was a little bit intimidated and I want to, you know, kind of put on like the very best, you know, happy face, super professional. And so I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him. And as I'm talking to him in the lobby, I only have one thought flashing through my mind. And that is the fact that 
and I have a handful of McDonald's dollars in my pocket. This would be the equivalent of a Tim Hortons gift card, right? And I'm sitting there and I've got them and some of you are wondering, why do you have McDonald's dollars in your pocket? And it's not because I'm a Mick fan. It's actually because we end up spending a lot of time in cities. And in cities, there's a lot of homeless. And when I see the homeless needs, I don't necessarily want to give them cash that can be used for something that isn't a healthy choice. So I opt for McDonald's dollars, which also isn't a healthy choice. <laughs> but at least provides a warm and nice meal. And so I'm sitting there talking to Patton, and I've got these McDonald's dollars in my pocket, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I really need to give them to Patton because he's going to need them to give them to someone later. And this is all that I can think about in this very important meeting. And so I'm sitting there wondering, is this God? Is this my imagination? Is this my sweaty palms talking? What is this? And I think that God gives us some basic questions that we can ask ourselves in moments like that, as well as in daily life, to figure out whether the things that we think that we're hearing are really from God or not. And so in the time remaining, I just wanted to offer a handful of questions that you can ask yourself whether or not something is from God. These kind of serves as guardrails in the journey of following Jesus. And the very first question that we can ask ourselves is, does what I heard line up with scripture? This is the foundation and the filter for everything that we think that we are hearing from God. If it does not line up with this book, chuck it. Throw it in the back window. Find a dumpster. It is not from him. The very things that God is calling us to will echo in this book. And the more time that we spend studying the scripture, it's like God uses it so that the Holy Spirit can expand the library with which he can draw on as he speaks into our lives. So the more time we spend studying and knowing the scripture, the more the Holy Spirit's gonna pull out a passage and be like, this one for this situation. But what I've found in my own life is that God is faithful to use the scripture to confirm things that he's speaking to us. A number of years ago, I was at a place in my career where I was just really struggling. And I was looking and I was going, God, how am I going to make ends meet financially? Like, what are you going to do? How are we going to pay the rent this month? And I remember taking some time and just praying. And before I could say amen, the phone called. Uh, the phone rang, and it was a company out in California. And they called and they said, Margaret, we would like to hire you to be a temporary or a part-time publicist for us. And we would like to pay you several thousand dollars a month in order to work for us up to 20 hours a week. We will cover all of your office expenses, all of your travel expenses, and you can keep on writing what you want the other half of the week. Would you be interested? And I was thinking, this is awesome until the words of my dad again flashed through my mind. And he said, if you're ever given a great opportunity, ask for at least a night to think about it. Get some time to pray, get some distance from it. And I thought, well, this is a pretty neat thing, so let me just say, could I get a week? And the person on the other end of the phone said, we'll give you three days. And so I said, okay. And I hung up the phone, and I prayed something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You are the bomb. You've come through again, and I'm so grateful. But just in case this isn't you, let me know. Peace out, Margaret. And I hang out the phone with God. And I remember the next day, I'm down and I'm cleaning my living room and I'm dusting and I'm vacuuming, when suddenly I had a thought to pop into my mind that was not my own. And it simply asked the question, do you want bronze? 
And I'm sitting there vacuuming thinking, bronze. Not wearing bronze, don't decorate in bronze, Hoover's not bronze. Like, God, if this is you speaking to me, I'm a total C student at this, so you're going to have to make it clearer. And I remember the next day passed, and I'm sitting there praying. And as I'm praying, I have a fuller thought flashing on my mind, and it was simply this. Do you want bronze, or are you willing to wait for gold? And when that thought came into my mind, I recognized that that indeed was God. And he was saying to me, do you want what is good or do you want my very best? You see, to the untrained eye, if you were to send somebody out who didn't know the difference between bronze and gold and just sent them with some, you know, out to find some brown, shiny metal, there's no telling what they might come back with. And in my own life, I couldn't tell that which was good from God's best. And so that next day, the company called me and they said, Margaret, are you going to take the position? And I said, thank you so much, but I'm going to have to pass. And I hung up the phone. And I would love to tell you that then another company called with an even better offer and more money and more benefits. But that never happened. And I remember it wasn't too long till I started questioning and doubting. And even though God was providing, it was on that you know, shoestring of just provision and dependence. And I'm going, God, did I miss it? Like, was that really you? Should I have said yes? And as I'm spending time in the scripture, I'm just going along in my daily reading. When I hit a passage in Isaiah, and it's found in chapter 60, verse 16, and it says this, Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. And when I read those words, I went, God, I get it. It's you speaking. It's you leading. And sometimes our journey with Christ doesn't turn out like the fairy tale, happily ever after story, like we want it to. But it ends up looking like the life of faith when we follow Jesus and we choose to do what he's calling us to, even when it's costly and even when it's difficult. Does what you hear line up with scripture? A second question to ask that is essential is, does what I heard line up with the wise counsel in our lives? God places people of wisdom in our life if we will just look out and build those relationships with pastors, with teachers, with older, wiser Christian mentors in our church and our community. We have to be intentional about building those relationships, both with those who are older and those who are younger. And when we do that, we find that when we bring our lives before them, we say, hey, could we have your wisdom? How often they can speak into it. I know one of the things Leif and I have just been trying to do in our own personal life is commit to getting out of debt. And when we talk and we look in the scripture, it says, yeah, get out of debt. And we start talking to wise counsel and they go, yes, get out of debt. Because when you're out of debt, you're free to do the things that God is calling you and the spirit is leading you. And so looking to build those relationships and listening for the wise counsel in your life. A third question to ask is, does what I heard leave me with a sense of peace? Isaiah 9, 6 describes the Prince of Peace. Ephesians 2, 14 says that Jesus is our peace. And if we look in Philippians 4, 
chapter six or chapter four, verse six, it says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." Peace is a guardrail in our life. And often when God is calling us to something or speaking something to us, the peace of God will be linked to the timing of God. In other words, we may look in the scripture and say yes, and the wise counsel may say yes, and we still have that icky, unsettled feeling because it's not quite time. And so when we wait for the peace of God, we start to find things lining up. Another important question to ask is, does what I, is what I heard blanketed in love? All the sacred echoes that God speaks, all of his whispers will compel you to do one of two things. It will compel you to love God more or love others more. And if the echo is not challenging you to walk in love, then it probably isn't forgot from God or you're not in a place to move forward on it. I know there have been times in my own life when I've looked at other people and their situations and I've prayed for them and I have said, God, this person with this issue in their life, it's such a big issue and God, you've got to deal and you've got to do something and I'm sitting there praying and it's like the Holy Spirit looks at me and says, Margaret, that is not even in my top 10. The work that I'm doing in that person's life is so different. You have no idea what my perspective is. Choose to love, choose to wait on me in this situation and watch the work that I am about to unfold. So is what I heard blanketed in love? Another important question to ask is, does what I heard increase my dependence on God? Although I would love to have the full-time job of eating Godiva bars all day, and I would love for God to say that's what he has for me, Almost everything, if not everything, God calls me to and all of us to will increase our dependence. We're going to find ourselves at that place where we go, God, man, you got to come through or else this is all over. And those are the things that God speaks and calls us to. So does what I heard increase my dependence on God? And finally, does what I heard line up with the work that God is already doing in my life? The way that I am wired and the way that my personality is made, I tend to get excited about all the different things that God is doing everywhere. There are times that I hear stories of God at work and I think, ooh, ooh, I want to go. I have a friend named Catherine who started a ministry in the prisons. And what she found is that felons are really good entrepreneurs. Like part of the reason that they're in prison usually is often because they're just too savvy of business people. And so what she discovered is that she could go into the prisons, begin working with these individuals and introducing them to Jesus, and at the same time, introducing them to CEOs that would help them develop legal business plans that, that weren't you know, going to hurt society. And pretty soon the CEO started saying, wow, these people have some actually really healthy, good business plans in areas of our culture and our world that I never even thought about, and we'd like to financially back and get become investors. And so all of a sudden what she found is that while the, I think it's the, the return rate for prisoners in the United States is almost above 80 to 90 percent, that those who had gone through Catherine's program, it was less than 20 percent. 
And so these people were being transformed spiritually, physically in their workplace to be these living, vibrant members of society. And so I'm sitting there listening to Catherine and the transformative power of God at work in these people's lives. And I'm like, let's move and go join Catherine. And at that point, I have to ask this question. Does what I heard line up with the work that God is already doing in my life? And I have to think right now, probably not. You know, I'm, I'm writing and I'm communicating, I'm doing this thing, and, and that's awesome, but is there a way that I can take what I'm doing and maybe come alongside Catherine? And so I call her and I say, hey, you're working in all these prisons and they have libraries. Do you need any Christian books? And she's like, yeah. And I think, okay, that's a way that I can come alongside of her and yet still stay on track with the thing that God has already called me to. There are times that we can ask all of these questions. We can go through our grid. We can seek God. We can go through the scriptures and wisdom and love. We can recognize that it's a call to depending on God more. We can see God's hand all over it. And there are times that we will still step out and we will make mistakes. You see, the reality is that in learning to hear God's voice, whether as whispers or echoes, there are times that we will just mess up. When I lived in Colorado earlier, I nannied for a family of about four kids. And I got to watch the youngest, who was six months, grow up to about six years. It was fascinating watching him learning the the listening and the speaking process. Because there was times with a six-month-old kid named Grant that I would look at him and I'd say, Grant, could you go to the closet and get a ball? And he would come back with a balloon. And I was like, close, but not quite. And just as I would never expect Grant to come out of the womb speaking in full sentences or paragraphs or communicating perfectly, I don't believe God expects that of us either. That he recognizes that learning the language of God takes time, it takes practice, it takes years, it takes stumbles and fumbles. And even when we make mistakes, God is big enough to handle it all. There are also times that we need to recognize that in the midst of calling out to God and listening for him, that we will encounter the silence of God. And sometimes I think that God's silence is one of the most painful sounds we will ever hear. And I would love to tell you that there is a detour to the silence of God, but it is part of the Christian journey. It has been for thousands of years, and it will continue to be. The only encouragement I have is that in the midst of that silence, we would still make the choice to engage with God, to spend time in prayer, to spend time listening, to spend time in community, to spend time in the scriptures, to spend time still calling on and pursuing and seeking God. Because one day there will come a day when God will speak again. And I don't know if that day will be a week, a month, a year, or years from now. But when that day comes, you will have a testimony and a story of God's goodness and grace that you would not have any other way. And finally, there are times in the journey of hearing from God that we will cry out to God and we will look at him and we will say, God, am I supposed to live on Oak Street or am I supposed Elm Street or am I supposed to live on Oak Street? Am I supposed to major in this or am I supposed to major in that? Am I supposed to marry this Christian person or this Christian person? What am I supposed to do? In the midst of it, God will echo two of the most mysterious and wondrous words of all. You pick. I will go with you either way. To the right or to the left, I will be with you. And in the process, you will find the goodness and the love and the favor and the delight of our God. 
So there I am in a hotel lobby. I am looking in the eyes of Patton. I have these sweaty McDonald's dollars in my pocket. And I look at him, and the meeting is about to come to a close, and I can tell it. And I'm just kind of holding back and wondering do I give them, do I not, do I? And he goes, Nice to meet you, Margaret. And I just reached out and I go, Here, Patton. And he looks at me, and I've got these crumpled little things in my hand. He goes, What is this? And I'm like, McDonald's dollars. You're going to need this for someone else later. And he looks at me with that look like, Okay. And he disappears. Well, months went by. And I still emailed and talked to Patton now and then. And, and a few more months went by. And probably about a year later, I remember I said, You know what? I got to know what happened. And so I picked up the phone and I called Patton. And I said, Patton, do you remember the very first time that we met in that hotel lobby? He goes, Yeah. I said, Do you remember the McDonald's dollars? Dead silence. Patton? Yeah. Do you remember them? Yeah, I remember the McDonald's dollars. I go, What did you do with them? He says, I walked outside of the hotel that day, and there was a homeless guy sitting right outside the front door, and I handed him the dollars. When I think about that, I have to wonder, like, whatever happened to those dollars? I mean, had that homeless man been sitting there and praying and saying, God, I, I need a warm meal, and suddenly Patton gave him those dollars? Did the homeless guy look and say, man, I've got a friend on the street who's really hungry, and I'm going to give those dollars to her? I have no idea. And the reality is, is there are a whole lot of times that we will step out and we will respond to those little nudgings, those little whispers, those little moments from God. And we will have no idea on this side of heaven how things turned out or what was the response. But I believe that there will come a day on the other side of this world when we will sit in wonder and awe of all that God has done through our obedience and our response to his leading. So my hope and my prayer for you is that when you get those moments, those whispers and those echoes, you will offer up your sweaty McDonald's dollars or whatever it might be and walk in obedience to God.